Howdy, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to the Jeffersonian Tradition. Before we get started, I have a couple of things to go over. For now, the podcast is mostly ad-free, and I sure would like to keep it that way. You can help me out with that by becoming a supporting listener. If you find value in the podcast, there's a link in the show notes page that will enable you to contribute to my work and to help keep the podcast going and keep it light on advertising. Contributions start as low as $0.99 per month, with two other brackets at $4.99 per month or $9.99 per month. If you're not comfortable with a recurring contribution model, I've also set up a Cash App profile for the show. One-time contributions can be sent through Cash App to the show's cash tag, which is $MrJeffersonian, and all of this information will be listed in the show notes page as well. Any contribution amounts help, and thank you in advance to anyone who chooses to pitch in. And if you like the show, then please be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications for it. We are now available on all major podcast platforms. And to help the show grow, make sure to share it with your friends and family. And other show-related news, if there's a topic you'd like for me to cover, or if you just have general questions for me, I can be contacted at the show's email address, which is mrjeffersonian at outlook.com, or through the show's MeWe group, which is also titled The Jeffersonian Tradition. And if you're not on MeWe yet, then seriously, what are you waiting for? Unlike a certain other social media platform, MeWe respects the right to free speech and offers a privacy bill of rights. So if you'd like to be a member there, then download the MeWe app and search for me at the username Mr. Jeffersonian. The show group is private, so we must be contacts before I can send you the group invite. If you're not familiar with MeWe's platform, contacts are the same as being friends on Facebook. With all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's now turn our attention to the topic for today's episode. Alright, so today we have a real treat for the audience. We're going to be interviewing New Hampshire State Representative Mr. Mike Sylvia, who is also a part of the Free State Project. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be on. I'm uh, happy to spread the word about uh, the Free State Project and uh, all the great stuff that's going on here in New Hampshire. Absolutely. And we're definitely excited to hear about it. So uh, just before we get into the Free State Project itself, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm uh, retired from FedEx now. Um, Worked there for 34 years. I grew up in Rhode Island, uh, moved to New York for a little bit. And when I was in New York, found out about the Free State Project and uh, ended up moving here in uh, 2010. New York sounds awful. Was it as bad as it sounds? I was uh, in Ithaca, which is uh, the socialist center of uh, the upstate. Oh, no. All right. So how long have you been involved with the FSP? I got uh, I got lined up with it back in uh, 2006 and uh, found out about it, visited New Hampshire a few times, went to Pork Fest, and uh, eventually in 2010, I, uh, I made the move. Awesome. So what, what exactly is the Free State Project? So the Free State Project is an idea that was hashed by Jason Sorens back around the turn of the century. And he was trying to think of it, a way to really move uh, the whole libertarian ball and, uh, and actually make something happen. So uh, he had this idea. And of course, back then it was uh, like a, an email chat group that uh, it got started on. So the idea was to uh, get a bunch of people and he did the calculations. He was into political science. So he figured out that uh, if you find a small state uh, with low population, uh, you could have a pretty significant impact if you had 20,000 people move there and uh, push for liberty. So uh, that was the very beginning. And of course they looked at uh, a bunch of states um, and I didn't know about it at the time, but uh, the discounted Rhode Island pretty quickly. It's a small state, but it's extremely corrupt. Uh, So they had, uh, I think there was a list of maybe 13 states, Delaware, uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, Montana, Wyoming, Alaska. And so when they started out, they decided that uh, after 5,000 people joined the the initial idea and signing on to uh, essentially a pledge that uh, we'll pick a state. And uh, when we pick the state and 20,000 people also sign on to the whole thing, they'll, uh, they'll all make a move to uh, this state, whichever one was picked. And so they decided at 5,000 uh, signups that they would, that would be the time to pick the state. And they had a, uh, a vote. It, 
uh, I think that happened probably in the early earlier years, maybe around 2004. Uh, they had uh, a vote for the state, and uh, New Hampshire was uh, uh, there was a lot of people here already um, participating in in the whole idea, and uh, they lobbied pretty hard and uh, had enough folks uh, here that. Uh, New Hampshire was chosen. We even had a, an endorsement from uh, the governor back then, uh, Benson. So uh, that was the beginning. And once the state was picked, um, it's been uh, just a matter of signing up the 20,000 people. And uh, we finally did that in 2016. We made 20,000 signups. And the pledge was to move within five years. And we have now gone uh, the five years. We don't have 20,000 people who have moved. We've got uh, just over 5,000. But uh, even with the 5,000, even long before the 5,000, we've uh, we've had an impact here for certainly the decade that I've been here. Uh, we've had a lot of stuff going on. So it's it's been very successful, even with uh, the, the lesser numbers that actually move here. Uh, the people who move early were very motivated or free to move. You know, it's not easy to... Uh, you know, pick up your life, move away from family, perhaps, and uh, head to another state. So, so far, I think it's been a great success. There's uh, still more people coming all the time. I'm going to be uh, helping a new mover tomorrow uh, unload a truck. That's awesome. So, obviously, as a Jeffersonian, I love this concept. Uh, now, I, I'll admit, I thought that y'all may have chosen the wrong state because... To me, the low-hanging fruit would have been a state like Wyoming that only has 500,000 people. Um, I'm glad that you explained how, how New Hampshire came to be. That that definitely makes it a, a little bit more sensical uh, now that I'm hearing it explained that way. So I'm, I'm glad to say it looks like I was wrong. So for you as an individual, what, what led you down the libertarian path? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, the first time I ever heard, I can remember uh, the first time I heard libertarian uh, back in my uh, younger days, uh, back in the early 90s, I was uh, hang gliding and a friend of mine was talking about uh, libertarianism. I was like, what the heck is that? So that was the first I heard of it. And then when I moved to New York uh, around 2005, uh, I had the time to get involved in actually in the in that socialist center of New York, there was a little uh, libertarian group. And, uh, and of course, uh, the Ron Paul thing was, uh, you know, shortly uh, thereafter it was coming up. Um, but I got involved with them the, as a strong little group, uh, you know, it was only a dozen or so regulars, but uh, we did a lot of stuff. Uh, the uh, oh, what was the old uh, politically homeless uh, outreach, uh, Nolan chart. We'd do that in the uh, the mall down there in uh, in the park in uh, in Ithaca, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. That's where I found out about it. That's where I you know, heard about the the Free State Project, and uh, and then started uh, making my journey out to uh, Porkfest every summer. All right. So, what type of libertarian would you say you are? Anarchist, minarchist, other? Oh well, I, uh, I on, on my uh, suit jacket that I wear to the uh, state house, I've got a voluntarist pin. Uh, I guess I would have to say uh, a minarchist. I'm not entirely certain that uh, anarchy is uh, entirely achievable, but uh, you know, once we get to the minimal government, perhaps back to where uh, Jefferson uh, got us started, uh, maybe then we could look at uh, going a little further. But uh, uh, we have a long way to go. Uh, you know, between between here and uh, minarchism. Oh, most definitely. And definitely, I, I think the states, um, and this has been a somewhat prolonged journey for me, but I think the states are really the key to all of this. Um, heavily, myself, I was heavily influenced by Brian McClanahan into coming around to this line of thinking, but I think what you guys are doing are, are incredible. It, it really, it sounds like you're probably going to be able to keep the the less edgy parts of libertarianism which which is still really good but you're going to actually be able to apply it through a practical manner and, and actually achieve some outcomes versus you know ranting on the internet in the abstract for 10 hours a day so that that's wonderful that is wonderful right yeah i, I mean we you know we we get movers that are you know fringy uh, occasionally they come they show up uh, and we've had um Oh, what was the, uh, the the crying Nazi was here? Uh, Cantwell, uh, you know, uh, you you can't stop them from coming. They they show up, and uh, 
we we push push out some of the the real stray ones. And I, I guess I I need to uh, stop for a second and and let you know that uh, the the Free State Project is not a political organization. Um, it's it's really just uh, in fact they're a five hundred one c three now. Um, and they are, you know, the purpose is education and, and educating folks in, in the line of uh, smaller government for your um, people. And so we don't, they don't really get involved in uh, politics themselves. Uh, once you move into the state, you are free to do, uh, well, you're always free to do whatever you want, but they're not going to tell you to run for office. They don't tell you that, uh, you know, what kind of activities you should be pursuing. Um, and, and a lot of people move here and kind of fade into the woodwork. They go off, do their own thing and live free. Um, but you know, there's others of us who, who take it a little more seriously about, uh, not only freeing ourselves, but, uh, freeing others, you know, reducing that, that big government. So I just need to, uh, you know, clear that up that, uh, the FSP is just, you know, they, they call it a lot of times the bus that, uh, gets us to New Hampshire and, uh, and gets us active and, and moving along. Right. But I, I would assume with that, there's a certain type of people who are going to be drawn to it. And I, I guess my, my interpretation of it, and I, I appreciate you giving me some more clarity on that, but my interpretation just from kind of like doing some cursory reading was, okay, yes, it's not an official political organization, but due to the nature of the people who are kind of targeted by this type of movement, the hope would be that it would have some legislative spillover. Is that roughly accurate? Yeah, that's that's entirely uh, entirely correct because uh, you know once you're here, there are other organizations. Um, there's you know some conservative groups. The 603 Alliance does you know kind of conservative Republican politics, uh, but uh, a lot of uh, free state movers uh, put together the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, and the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance does a lot to um, get good legislation through uh, the state house. They uh, they look at uh, all of the uh, all of the coming legislation and decide whether it's you know good or bad. They give it a rating, and then uh, when those bills come to the floor of the house, they put out a recommendation sheet, the gold standard, and uh, they recommend you know up or down whether these should be voted for or not. And then at the end of the uh, legislative season, they'll put out a. Uh, a score sheet. In fact, uh, we're going to have uh, this coming Saturday a uh, the Liberty Dinner, where they'll uh, give us our uh, ratings and let us know how we did. So uh, they do uh, they do the 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 work of the the political side of things, and and they also you know they're not um, partisan. Although uh, clearly all the the good legislation has. Uh, tends to come from the Republicans, but every now and then the uh, the Democrats come up with a little bit of liberty and uh, they'll get on board with uh, marijuana deregulation and that sort of thing. So um, we've, we've got uh, that group uh, in particular does a lot of the politics. Uh, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance is a great organization. That's good. Well, that, that's good to hear. I, I was not aware of their existence, but I'm, I'm glad that there is some sort of uh, coalesced faction that, that works on that. So with that legislative spillover, uh, I recently saw a post of yours on MeWe where it seems like a local journalist was uh, kind of prognosticating doom and gloom because free state candidates or or people who had come there as a byproduct of that have taken over the uh, state representative house. Is that correct? Or house of representatives? Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a pretty strong uh, contingent in the House of Representatives. We've got um, I don't know, probably close to thirty actual free state movers, and then there's a bunch of people. You know, the, New Hampshire was chosen because it's naturally got a lot of libertarian leanings. So we've got probably another. Uh, I'd venture to say almost a hundred. Uh, you know, just natural New Hampshire, um, liberty loving reps that vote the right way. And so with that block, you know, we're up to almost, well, I think we're beyond half of the, uh, the Republican side of the legislature, which gives us a lot of power. We've got, um, you know, it it is out. That's not a secret. Jason Osborne is the majority leader in the house. And that's uh, a very, uh, strong position and he's he's free stater he's he's doing great stuff he's actually able to you know 
coalesce uh, folks and and pass a, a budget that uh, has tremendous tax cuts in it. Um, this year we uh, we added uh, school choice and, and a bunch of other good stuff. So we've got uh, the the locals uh, are motivated by by our activity. We, we kind of gave them a spark, and uh, I've been in the legislature uh, ten years now, or well, my fifth term, so nine years so far is uh, complete, and. It, the free state folks in the legislature has grown, um, you know, steadily, and and the influence is is you know proportionally it, it grows with the uh, the folks that are inspired by what we're doing. So um, it it's it's gotten to a, a pretty good place. We're we're, we're really uh, getting stuff done, and the future is bright. I'm glad to hear that uh, as far as having the homegrown talent there, because obviously we <laughs> anybody who spreads this sort of, of idea that, you know, we don't want to be looked at as like trying to perform a hostile takeover. But I was just looking at something here while you were telling me this. Uh, I, I was not aware of this. I thought New Hampshire and I may be wrong on this. I thought New Hampshire was a relatively small state, but uh, it says y'all have 400 members in your state house. Is that right? That is correct. I believe they say we've got the third largest uh, legislative body. Uh, I don't know if that's the U.S. or uh, I guess in any case, yeah, 400 seats in the uh, the House of Representatives. We represent about uh, 3,300 people uh, for each seat. It's uh, very easy to become a legislator in, in New Hampshire. Um, I was drafted in 2012 for the election because there was uh, my town uh, Belmont is a Republican town with two seats and there were no uh, Republicans uh, signed up to, to run so the filing period had closed and there's a period where the party can you know put people on and they didn't have anyone and so going into a Republican primary, myself and a, one of the local folks uh, decided to run and we just ran a write-in campaign for the primary on the, the Republican ticket. And, you know, of course we ran against uh, no one. <laughs> so uh, we, we got on in the primary and of course being a very Republican town uh, when the November election came around, we were both elected. So, I mean, I, I you know, there were a lot of, arm twisting to get me to run in the first place. I was like, I didn't move for this, but uh, I decided to uh, go for it. And it's, uh, it's worked out re really well. That's incredible. No, that that's, that's truly, that is much more in line with, uh, you know, the, the founder's idea of what constituted good representative government. I actually, it's like 10 times better even than what they want it. So that's, that's awesome. Now, as far as the actual populace, so the, the people who fall under the districts of the more pro-liberty factions of the House, how, how do they seem to be responding? So, so the, uh, the, the constituents uh, are, are happy with us. They seem to be, um, you know, the establishment folks, they put out the standard line, you know, uh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. The, the Republican platform, they, they, they talk a lot, but then they don't do. Uh, it's been my experience that when you say you're going to do something and you do it, and even if you step on some toes along the way, which I do pretty regularly, you know, the locals don't mind. They'll, they'll suck it up because you're, you're doing what you say you're going to do. That's good. No, I'm glad to hear that. The The worst thing that, that could have happened, at least in my opinion, because this happened, it seems like a couple of years ago in, in Colorado Springs, uh, you had some people who were who were running on pretty strong rhetoric, and then the constituents didn't didn't necessarily respond well to it in practice, I guess. And uh, now we we have a lot more of like um, I guess you'd call them establishment Republicans here. But what would you say the outlook is as, as far as the pro liberty faction being able to take over the state senate? Ah, uh, the senate. The senate is a problem. Um, We've got uh, Carla Garrick, uh, who was once the uh, president of the Free State Project. Uh, she's run uh, twice now for Senate, um, and I think she's going to be running again a, a third time. Uh, the Senate is much more difficult. Uh, that is the heart of the establishment. Uh, even you know, in the Republican Party, 
they they vet their candidates so if you are a liberty person of course carla doesn't have to worry too much about a primary uh because the democrat in that district is so solid that the you know the republican party isn't gonna back her down but it's uh, the senate is is tough it, it takes more money to get in the senate um there are only 24 seats in our senate so Generally, they look at a $100,000 campaign to, to get in. And it's a two-year term. You got to run every two years. So we did have, uh, at one time, there was a guy, uh, Jim For Forsyth, back, uh, uh, he served before me probably in 2010 and 2011, uh, 11 and 12, I'm sorry. Back in 2010, the Republicans took the House by a, an extraordinary number, like 300 Republicans to 100 Democrats. Uh, it was a bit of a backlash to uh, the collapsing economy and the excessive spending of the Democrats. And, and then in uh, 2012, we lost that uh, lost that power and we haven't had it back yet but uh as close as the margin is this year we got an awful lot done so jason osborne uh, got everybody together and managed to keep the establishment types from uh, going too far off the reservation so worked out well but the senate uh you know it's going to take uh, some more years and and we've got you know now we've got a lot of the candidates that have been in the house for a little bit uh, have the experience, have the name recognition. So there's a chance that uh, we could see more running. It's just that they, they would have a hard time uh, making a lot of difference in the Senate because uh, it is such a tight body. They uh, they are very controlled. How, how is your Senate structured? Does it go based, like, I, I guess what I'm asking, do, do your counties have a high level of organization or is the Senate still split up by district? Uh, so our, we have 10 counties. Um, they don't do a whole lot, uh, run the nursing home and the jail uh, and court system, more or less. Um, so the, the Senate districts are, uh, this is a redistricting year. They, they're divvied up. The standard sort of process of redistricting will, will go on. Uh, it's been fairly balanced over the last 10 years. Uh, the Re Republicans did the redistricting last time. And, uh, you know, the Democrats have had control actually maybe twice. So for four years over the last 10, but uh, the Senate is, uh, is pretty tough. Uh, they've got pretty, pretty good sized districts depending on uh, where they're at. Uh, our North country is very spread out. I guess that's the, the, the structure of the Senate. Okay, so the re the reason I asked that, I, I had a previous guest on here, and we had a discussion about a, an effort that she's putting forth in Texas. She's calling it One County, One Vote. And I really think all states right now, re regardless if they're controlled predominantly by Republicans, Democrats, whatever, I think every state should look at basically creating some sort of state-level electoral college and giving the counties a, a lot more say in the processes, and especially like for statewide uh, taxes, statewide candidates like gubernatorial races. I think all that voting should actually be done by um, by county instead of at large, just because I, I don't know about New Hampshire, but like in Texas, you got a handful of big cities that are starting to go blue. Here in Colorado, you got Denver and Boulder that control pretty much everything. And that's even with Colorado Springs acting as a counterweight. So I'm just kind of curious, what, what would you think about trying to introduce something like that through the New Hampshire House? Do you think it would have any good prospects? Boy, they don't like new ideas here. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that that'd be a, a bit of a challenge. Uh, not exactly sure uh, how that would work out. You know, we've got um, Nashua, Manchester, and Portsmouth are the three big blue cities. Perhaps it would be uh, an interesting thing to float. Uh, we also have a, um, besides the governor, we've got an executive council that works um, kind of alongside the governor. And there are five members there and they've got huge districts um, and, and very much gerrymandered <laughs> districts also. So it's, it's an interesting prospect. I'll, I'll float it and see, uh, see what kind of reception it gets. Well, and I think it, it's beneficial for, for either party. Uh, you know, if, if you have a, a strong Democratic pres presence in a Republican-dominated state, 
you give them a little bit more say uh, and vice versa. I mean, it, really, it's a way to just spread out power, uh, it, it, you know, fracture it from being so concentrated in those handfuls of areas. And where I drew the inspiration for, for that was uh, actually by reading John C. Calhoun when he talks about the idea of a concurrent majority, because it's like, well, hey, yes, obviously, if you're going to have a statewide office, that person needs to run with the interest of the entire state. So I'm, I'm originally from Louisiana. And it's gotten to a point down there uh, for gubernatorial races. Louisiana is weird. For for federal, they always go Republican, at least in my lifetime. But for the state, it, it's weird. It, it's really kind of a toss-up whether or not it's going to be Republican or Democrat. But it's getting to a point down there in state politics where you got New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Shreveport. And they can basically outvote the rest of the state. And, and there's a couple of smaller parishes over in northeast Louisiana. But... That, to me, would be something in any state that could be a benefit because you actually can fracture the power, limit the corruption, uh, at least in theory, at least in theory. But you can fracture the power, spread it out, have true government by the consent of the governed because you're campaigning on behalf of the whole state or you're writing legislation on behalf of the whole state and not just the interests of the population centers. Mm, interesting idea. I'll, uh, I'll have to dig into that a little more. Absolutely. So what would you say, uh, it sounds like maybe the Senate, but what would you say have been the biggest roadblocks faced thus far by the pro-liberty faction in the uh, House? Uh, roadblocks. Well, yeah, it's, it is the establishment. Um, they really, they really uh, know how to control things. Uh, they, they spin garbage. Uh, the media is uh, always, always out to, uh, you know, back up the establishment. It's it's been uh, an interesting thing over the last year with the the whole uh, COVID bet because uh, it it inspired uh, a lot of people to run, uh, and that that gave us a lot of motivated people who got elected uh, last fall. Uh, there was a, an organization um, reopen New Hampshire which was run actually by a former state representative uh, and he was a free stater. Uh, he had a, a huge mailing list and got out there and got a lot of normal people um, that just were absolutely outraged at the nonsense that was going on. Uh, our governor is uh, has not been the worst, but certainly not the best. And uh, our mask mandates that they had were just uh, full of holes, so there was really no enforcement to it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it's the standard establishment and the uh, you know the leftists uh, you know getting back to some of the stuff that they write about us. Uh, actually, <laughs> it it works out that sometimes when they're when we're running uh, political campaigns, they'll put out a, uh, a hate mailer that uh, tells us. Uh, how horrible the Free State Project people are and all the terrible things we want to do, except uh, the audience that gets that uh, that mailer uh, usually looks at it and says, huh, this is a pretty good advertisement. Uh, <laughs> so it, it turns around and they're, they're paying to advertise for us. So we've seen a lot of that. I don't know why they keep doing it, but they do and we'll just enjoy it. So uh, they can try to be obstacles, but I guess they need to do it a little smarter. Well, speaking of 2020, uh, how, how did the state legislature fare in fighting that insanity? Uh, I know you said the governor wasn't too bad, but I, I mean, did y'all like what what was what was the outlook? I guess politically, there it's mixed. You know, it's it's all the propaganda campaigns, and you know, unfortunately, we've got uh, the governor buying into it, and you know, he liked. Uh, having his emergency powers. Uh, we were pushing back against the emergency powers. And, and this probably, you know, uh, with the election last year, uh, New Hampshire was the only state that actually flipped to Republican from Democrat, uh, I believe. Uh, and we flipped everything, the, the House, the Senate, uh, the uh, Executive Council. Uh, the only thing that uh, wasn't uh, Democrat before was the uh, governor. Uh, and that was because I think the back in you know june of 2020 uh the the democrats were in control and they were not gonna you know allow us to to vote to you know reopen things or stop all the nonsense that was going on so the the governor had his uh emergency orders a state of emergency declared and a lot of us republicans uh, you know certainly the the free staters and some of the uh 
you know, the folks that are aligned with us, uh, we were we were pushing pretty hard to uh, end the state of emergency. So it was it was good messaging for us, and it helped us in the in the election. So we we were you know working that, and uh, we we keep pushing. There was even uh, we've got some uh, interesting you know some of the old stuff from the constitutional uh, stuff uh, bills of uh, redress. Uh, and uh, remonstrance. We had uh, folks filing, uh, actually I was involved with filing a remonstrance uh, and essentially uh, saying that the legislature has uh, essentially shut itself down and we have uh, in our constitution, the right to uh, reform our government, uh, also known as the right to uh, revolution. And uh, so we uh, we put out a, a notice to that and went to the house. It's sitting in the house, and uh, I, I will forever be in the records of <laughs> uh, trying to reform our government. They had they had, uh, they had lost their way. They had given up their uh, constitution. They were acting against it. So uh, we we made a move to uh, end it. Of course, they don't listen to it. So. It, uh, it goes away, but we, we pushed hard. Uh, there was a, a threat to uh, impeach the governor. Uh, makes headlines, but doesn't get very far. So we're pushing. Did, did y'all do anything to officially strip the office of the governor of those types of powers in case something like this happens in the future? This is one of the problems. Uh, the governor has veto power, and we have a, a fairly slim majority. And of course, the Senate works to protect him also. So uh, it would take getting things through the Senate. So we did actually make some progress uh, this year uh, because one of the things that you know, is contrary to our constitution, but uh, they do it anyway, we have a, a budget that is supposed to be just a budget and not any additional stuff, but um, is a, a trailer bill HB2, which has a lot of policy stuff. And if you want the governor to uh, sign a bunch of stuff he doesn't want to sign, you put it in the budget bill HB2. Uh, so there was a there was a lot of stuff this year packed into the budget that the governor might not have otherwise signed. Uh, we've finally got a. Uh, a 24-week uh, ban on abortion. Uh, once a, a fetus is going uh, the 24 weeks, it's uh, not free to uh, remove. We uh, we had great uh, tax cuts. We had uh, school choice uh, stuffed into the budget. We had uh, some of the uh, critical race theory. Um, we've uh, prohibited our, our government from putting forward that kind of uh, training. Um, so we, we had a lot of stuff and the, of course the uh, a watered down uh, state of emergency reform, uh, not what we want, but uh, we were pushing really hard towards the end of the budget cycle at the, at the very, very end. And we got a promise that the governor, governor will sign a bill that uh, will be put forward next year. Uh, I, I don't like promises from politicians. So I did not vote for the budget that had all that great stuff in it because I think the, the governor would have signed on after the fact. But um, yeah, we're, we're pushing hard for sure. And we're getting a lot of good stuff. So, Right. Well, and at least y'all tried. So here, um, I got to give our, gov our governor credit where it's due. He kind of held off in exercising any sort of emergency powers longer than a lot of other states but when he did you could tell he he was not giving it up uh, and actually our official state of emergency only ended i, I think it was back uh j just maybe mid-may uh, maybe even the first part of june and we have a democratic trifecta here so i i mean there was just no hope um now i think individual action played a big part in this I definitely did my part. I refused to wear a mask at all. Uh, starting on January 1st of this year, I figured I had played their games long enough. So I just started refusing to wear a mask. Um, thankfully, when other people saw me in, in stores, I, I was able to see a couple of other people look at me and say, oh, he's not wearing a mask, and then they would take theirs off. But, yeah, we, we didn't have a chance. So I'm, I'm glad that y'all at least tried. 
Yeah, we didn't do we didn't do too badly. I mean, it, people were were scared out of their minds, so they were were wearing masks even if they didn't really have to. Uh, I never I I wore one maybe half a dozen times because uh, one for protest and and another to go get my teeth cleaned at the dentist. But uh, very few the the supermarkets were fine with it and. Uh, I didn't have any problem. Uh, the legislature was even, uh, they were supposedly requiring masks, um, but we had a no mask uh, freedom seat section of our, uh, our legislature. We were, uh, let's see, last uh, in 2020, we were in a uh, an ice skating rink at a college uh, for our uh, initial meeting after the election we were outside on a, uh, a sport field <laughs> in, in december by the way and it was you know 40 degrees outside uh then uh, they moved us into a, another sports complex that was uh, huge and uh, kind of ridiculous but once again you know we, we we always you know they they cannot require a legislator to wear a mask uh that would not fly in the state uh so they never really pushed it good that's good so we're gonna get into a, a little bit harder hitting questions now um is there any of the multitude of the general government's usurpations that the pro-liberty faction has in mind for nullification so uh, i don't know if it qualifies entirely for nullification but uh, one of the things that i've worked on a lot is uh civil asset forfeiture and um, one of the problems right now, in fact, we, you know, we passed the, the law in New Hampshire to require a criminal conviction, but there is a, a nagging little problem called the federal government that has an equitable sharing program. And it's actually preferred by law enforcement because it pays out much better. Uh, they get 80%. Uh, as opposed to the in-state process, they only get uh, 45% of the, the cut. Uh, so I've been working uh, with the um, Institute for Justice and working on uh, trying to, to throttle back how much the, the cops get to go out and uh, grab money and, and keep it. And, and the, the real problem with that is, you know, they're, they're hitting folks for, you know, under $10,000 for the most part. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about cheap cars and usually it's cash. Uh, and, you know, if you if you have, you know, 10 grand taken from you by the federal government, it's not like you're going to hire a lawyer and get it back. It just doesn't work out that way. You know, economics is, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty solid law. So um, we're, we're working on uh, ending that kind of stuff. We did have a bill this past year to... Um, restrict uh, local law enforcement from uh, cooperating with the uh, enforcement of executive orders related to uh, gun laws. Good. Yeah, well, it, it was good until the Senate uh, made a little amendment to it and, and it became a little questionable, but uh, we'll, we'll be back with that one next year. And then, you know, some of the local activity, um, you know, we being near Canada, occasionally you get the um, immigration uh, and customs agents uh, blocking off. There's one section of the highway that they like to, to go up and park, you know, shut shut down, you know, stop traffic and, uh, you know, rouse people. It's not a busy, you know, highway, but nonetheless, they, they go up there, they do that. And uh, there have been activists out there. They go and uh, let people know if they can and, uh, or, or film the, uh, the activities. Uh, those are a couple of the, the things that come to mind. That, no, that's that's great to hear, and especially um, if on the civil asset forfeiture, if we could even take that further and say, look, local law enforcement, you will not aid them. <laughs> I, I would be a big fan of that, big big fan. Yeah, that's a that's another that's a an extra step. Uh, so currently, our our path is to try and at least stop the uh, the local stuff and and keep the keep it from getting advanced. Uh, these. Uh, they have joint task force that uh, that that work all together, and uh, it's just really a, a criminal organization, but one that needs to be stopped. Yes, no, for sure, and that that would be at least in my opinion. I, I don't know what the local uh, outlook is on on the cops, but uh, that that would be incredible. Like to have some sort of legislation from the state to say, look, as of right now, this is absolved. If you want to enforce it, it it's all on you. So that no, that that would be awesome. So. Um, 
Also with the civil asset forfeiture, you made a comment that I wanted to touch on. So as far as the payouts, I, I know that's a big problem. Is there any sort of reform going on as far as maybe restructuring how police are compensated? Specifically, I would be concerned about the pension system that I'm assuming New Hampshire has. Yeah, no, uh, there wasn't anything like that um, coming forward. Although we did have uh, this year uh, uh, an attempt to uh, break up uh, qualified immunity such that uh, the locals, uh, towns could be sued if uh, if any uh, any anyone any of their employees violated uh, the constitutional rights of a citizen um, that was it started out good but then uh, it, it got a lot of pushback because uh, everyone was afraid that all of a sudden you're going to get uh, lawsuits everywhere um, but uh, there, there was a pretty, pretty big interest in it. And it was a bipartisan effort. In fact, the uh, Institute for Justice was working on that one also. Uh, those, are, those are good folks. Uh, they came out uh, and, and supported that. Uh, and, and one of the good things about that is that uh, one of the real problems is, you know, you can't fire certain uh, government employees. Uh, the unions back them up. And uh, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how rotten they are; they can't be fired. But uh, in this bill that we had, uh, it would have allowed the uh, the person to be uh, terminated and uh, gotten rid of. Um, so we'll 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 be back with that one again next year too. Well, and on the public unions, even that Pinko FDR didn't think that public uh, employees should be allowed to unionize. So is there? I don't know if this is a topic that could be broached up there, but has there been any talk in trying to bust up the public unions? Uh, not really. No, we did have a uh, an attempt at uh, right to work for New Hampshire, um, and, and that uh, that just didn't make it. Um, we have, you know, there are some Republicans who are, you know, in in firefighting and in law enforcement. Uh, and they just won't have any part of it. They're, they are tied to their unions. And like you say, the, the retirement programs are a, a real problem, you know, waiting to explode. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what happens with the retirement programs with all of the uh, tr printing of trillions at the federal level. Maybe it devalues them, but probably not. Well, even without the inflation, it, it what what's the what how would you say is new hampshire's in an okay shape i mean it for what it is is it is it an okay shape as far as uh retirement for the uh well so long term yeah long term solvency for the for the pension plans oh um i think it's in pretty good shape it's not something i i track um too closely uh, but i think it, it's it's not bad, but they do need to reform some of the ways that uh, it, it gets structured. They they do need to do some restructuring for the the public employees for sure. So okay, okay so then it's it's nothing like uh, what's going on in Illinois. So Illinois, they even before COVID, I mean for at least like five to ten years before COVID, they they started running into some severe issues because they have such a generous payout system and. Uh, it's good to hear that New, that New Hampshire's not there, and, and I would definitely not want them to get to that point. So I, I don't know. I think pensions are going to be a, a really big problem here in the next 15 to 20 years. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see. You know, we don't know what we don't know, but I, I think it's going to be a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, now I think we're in pretty good shape, and they, uh, they actually increased uh, the amount that was paid into the retirement system to bring it up a little uh, more so it's a, a little more uh, solvent. That's good. And it's it's such a frustrating issue for me. So my, my personal background is actually more so in finance, but it's so frustrating to me because just in terms of the raw mathematics, in almost every case, the, the individual would actually come out better with a 401k type of program. But like up here, they uh, this was probably about three years ago, they introduced a bill that would have uh, transitioned all of our public employees slowly but surely out of a defined benefit plan into a defined contribution plan and the unions just they went on a huge propaganda campaign the local newspapers uh, went on the huge propaganda campaign oh we got to protect our public workers they wouldn't even hear it so but I, I think that would be a good transition for any state to make 
Yeah, actually, uh, one, of, one of the guys, actually, he might even be uh, the speaker next time around, uh, is very much into uh, that, that whole financing. Absolutely. So now, uh, just one other real hard-hitting question here, it, just because now this would be perceived as a, kind of a radical question to ask, but are there any people on the state legislature sympathetic with secession? Nah, nobody is really pushing it in the legislature. Uh, certainly Carla Garrick has been very much uh, part of it, but she hasn't been elected yet. And who knows? I mean, she, she could get there. Uh, you know, we're, we're really focusing on fixing New Hampshire. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing where uh, if we're successful, you know, the su success can spread. Maybe it can spread into Maine. Vermont might be a little tricky. <laughs> uh, although, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll drop some of their socialism. But, um, you know, there, there is a lot of lot of stuff going on. You, you see, you know, it's actually, you know, memes are out there now all about uh, balkanization of the USA. Uh, I don't want to be... Uh, tied down to Massachusetts though that's that's a really bad thing so and and see I, I've seen the balkanization comments and it it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way <laughs> so you know it, it's like look we can we can go in peace and uh we can still have free trade there there can be treaties set up for mutual defense but it doesn't have to be a nasty drawn-out conflict like it was from 1861 to 1865 I mean, and that's that's one thing I'm so happy about the brexit movement it showed that it can happen peacefully. Now, I don't, I don't know what the status of that is as far as, like, ha has the U.K. officially – well, actually, no, they did officially withdraw, but I don't know what, like, the trade treaties and all that look like as of yet. But, you know, that, that to me, that gives me a lot of hope because it's like, look, you can do it. Like, it can be done. So even if it's not necessarily desirable from a standpoint of, like, well, if we break up, I, you know, I don't want to be stuck with New Hampshire – I'm sorry, not New Hampshire, but uh, Massachusetts – then, you know, well, hey, leave that one too. <laughs> so, that, that would be my outlook on it. But with that being said, what, what do you think about movements like the uh, Growing Texas movement down there in Texas? Well, you know, Texas is uh, big enough to be its own country. Uh, you know, they've, they've got the borders. They've got the, uh, the access to the uh, uh, ocean there uh, and the Gulf. Uh, so they've got their own power grid. They got a lot of stuff going for them. They got oil, you know, that's, that's interesting. It could be a good example. You know, that might be the other example. Uh, so I'd, I'd certainly be interested in, in seeing that happen. Uh, they probably ought to do it before too many Californians get there. That could screw things. Although I, I don't know if the, the good Californians are moving or the bad Californians are moving. Uh, we've, we've got some here, some of the good ones. Uh, we actually sent one, uh, one of the people who writes the kind of articles you, that you had seen on me, we uh, actually went back to California, uh, got, got tired of uh, try, trying to change us. So uh, we like that. <laughs> good. No, so Texas, from what I've heard, uh, I, I haven't lived there for about six years now, but from what I heard from my contacts who still live down there, it's kind of a mixture on what type of Californians they're getting in. Um, up here, so Colorado was actually, I would say, kind of the precursor to Texas. We got the absolute worst of the worst. So you, you had Colorado, I, I didn't know this, but Colorado up until maybe about 10 years ago was actually – pretty consistently red and then starting about 10 years ago when they legalized weed um you, we became kind of a magnet for people who only cared about that but you did have some people who brought really really bad voting tendencies with them and, and they've refused to give it up because they at least for that first wave they didn't leave because of the policies they they left because oh well look they they have legal weed and now um, it's more so, and, and Texas is experiencing this too, but now we've actually had a lot of technology companies move in here and you're, you're getting, you know, the, um, the techocracy that that's moving in and it's just further and further solidifying it, it, more so around Denver and Boulder, but there, there's even a few extremely rural counties in, in Colorado that go blue. And I, I've been extremely surprised to see that because normally, the further away you are from the metropolitan areas, the, the more likely you are to, to not agree with the politics of that area. So it's been, I don't know, but if you've never seen the documentary, uh, excuse me, documentary Rocky Mountain Heist, I would definitely encourage you to watch that because 
they, I mean, the Democrats had a very strong playbook to take this state over, and, and, and they've been ruthlessly effective in it. Uh, no, I have not seen that. I'm writing it down. I'll have to take a look at it. Absolutely. And so we're going to go ahead and move into the wrap-up section here. But if the pro-liberty faction, and specifically on this, I guess it's kind of a multifold question. So on the one hand, uh, again, not a political organization, but if the FSP does achieve its goal of 20000 are there any plans to try to expand it from there, or will New Hampshire be the, the, the only spot? Wow. So I, I think the plan has always been to really just uh, set an example. I mean, if we had 20,000 people here, man, <laughs> I, I suppose we'd have a little trouble. Uh, you know, you get that many people, you're going to disagree amongst your, your family. Uh, right. <laughs> maybe the battle would be, uh, well, min minarchy or uh, anarchy. <laughs> Which way are we going to go? But I think it, it, it would serve as an example for, you know, not only other states, but around the world. Um, it can work. And we can work with, you know, voluntary agreements and uh, we should, we should get there and we're going to keep going. Good. Good. Well, is there anything you want to plug for the audience or do you have any sort of call to action? Well, uh, you know, the uh, FSP.org is the place to look to uh, FSP and lots of associated information there. You can see uh, they've got a calendar of, of all the events that go on throughout the state. There's, uh, there's an amazing list of you know, stuff that's going on that's liberty related, uh, at least uh, you know, probably two or three events every day. So lots of stuff there, FSP.org. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much again for your time and for coming on the show. Pleasure. It's great to be here, Mr. Jeffersonian. All right, folks, that'll do us for today. And please remember, if you find value in the podcast, to consider contributing to the show. You can contribute on a recurring basis through the supporting listener link in the show notes page. Or you can make a one-time contribution by using the show's cash app information, which is also included in that show notes page. Any contribution amount helps. And thank you again to everyone in advance who decides to do so. Also, please consider downloading the MeWe app and joining the show's private group so we can have more sane discussion around historical and current political issues. And all right, with another episode in the books, thank you again for tuning in, and I'll talk to you all next time. <laughs>